directly or along with that, what we point to as the foundation of faith, which for most Christians, unfortunately, is the Bible. So about 10 years ago- I was in prayer, and as plain as day, God put a picture in my mind of a- Poisonous. I'm afraid to fail, so I won't try, and now my potential has become poisonous. Happy, successful, fulfilled individuals have learned how to live their best lives now. What I'm concerned about is the reputation of evangelical Christianity and the credibility of the Church of Jesus Christ right now. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. What's wrong with you people? This is Sparta! It's an incontrovertible fact that the typical evangelical church of this generation has become weak and womanly. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Greetings. This is Ed Dingus, and you are listening to The Reformed Rant. Episode 6. Today is... February 16th, 17th, <laughs> 17th, and I am ranting about how can I know my gender? This was the title of a recent lecture presentation given by Sam Alberry, an Anglican priest who has admitted to same-sex attraction to this day. So for all intents and purposes, a gay Anglican priest, albeit celibate, uh, he delivered this lecture or presentation on February 15th, just a couple of days ago, under the sponsorship of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, with whom uh, Mr. Alberry is also uh, officially and formally associated. Now, the Reformed Rent is a podcast that deals with issues of theology, philosophy, apologetics, church, culture, politics, all from a distinctively Reformed perspective. The Reformed Rant takes real-world issues going on in real time, examines those issues in light of Scripture in order to help Christians think better about the issues, with the ultimate goal, of course, being to honor Christ and glorify God in how we think and act in this present evil age. Now, what we're going to do in this particular podcast is I have a list of questions that never made it to Mr. Alberry at this uh, event on February 15th. I'm going to work through many of those questions. I don't know if we'll work through all of them, if I'll work through all of them, but I am going to select those that I think are the most significant, the most important, and we're going to work through those, provide some answers. Maybe there are people who have some of these questions or maybe they know others who do have these questions and they're struggling with, gee, what do you say to someone who asks you this question? So we're going to try our best to provide answers that are consistent with the Christian worldview, faithful to the biblical text. They may not always be. In fact, they're probably not going to be the answers that people want to hear. But we want to make sure that we're giving people the truth. No, we want to give people the truth and love. We don't want to beat people over the head. We don't want to be mean or nasty. There's no reason to be uh, abrasive uh, about how we answer folks. Uh, So 
we, we can be straightforward and loving and honest all at the same time. Part of the problem with our culture is to be direct in many cases is to be unloving. To tell people the truth in many cases is being inhospitable to some of these guys. We have to call people out on this. It's nonsense. It is an impediment to the proclamation of the gospel. It isn't uh, our sweetness that wins people to Christ. Paul did not say in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the sweetness of Christians, for that sweetness of Christians is the power of God unto salvation. He never said that. He said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We have to keep that in mind. That is not an excuse for us to be nasty with folks. And so... We want to proclaim the truth because we love the truth. We want to share the truth with people because we love the truth, we love God, and we love people. We want to be honest with them. We don't want to water down the gospel. We're not here to please the culture. We're not here to appease pagan unbelievers who are God-haters. Uh, we're here to reach out to them in love because we were once pagan unbelievers and God-haters also. Such were some of us, but we have been washed. We have been cleansed. We have been baptized in the blood of Christ, washed in the blood of Christ, baptized in the Holy Spirit, raised to walk in a newness of life. Thank God. All right. So let's get on to the first question. So here is the first question. This question was actually, it received the second highest number of votes uh, behind the first question, which was actually asked. The first question received 63 votes. Uh, Alberry did uh, an answer the first question, the top question, and he answered, I think, the, the third question and then he also answered the, the fifth question, which was, is same-sex attraction in and of itself sinful? The second question, which received 56 votes, which is the question I'm going to ask, he did not uh, answer this question. And it is a, I think there's a reason why he didn't answer it, but it is, an, it is a, a question that uh, would make a lot of people who are, who, who take up Alberry's position very, uh, uncomfortable. So the question is this, our son is gay and will be married October 12, 2019. My husband and I are struggling with knowing whether or not we should attend the wedding. So from a, a Christian perspective, so you look at this from a couple of different angles and the question is, which angle should we look at it from? So you've got the angle of the culture. The culture is going to be absolutely, positively dumbfounded that Christian parents would not attend their gay son's wedding. They are going to be, there's no way that you can pretty that up. There's no way you can soften that. If, you, if I tell you that as Christian parents, there is no way on God's green earth that you should be caught dead at your son's, your gay son's wedding, 
because it isn't really a wedding, uh, I'm going to be ridiculed, scorned, laughed at, mocked. I'm a bigot. I'm hateful. I'm unloving. I'm inhospitable. Um, someone like, an, I don't know what Alberry would say, but I could see someone from his camp or someone who shares his perspective saying to me, your inhospitability <laughs> is getting in the way of the gospel message. So really you want to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove and go to the wedding so that you can keep the lines of communication open so that you can share the gospel and continue to maybe have a chance to win this person over to Christ. I can see someone answering uh, that question that way and attacking me for not answering or disagreeing with me, I should say, attacking is all the strong language, disagreeing with me uh, on this answer. So my answer is no, you should not attend your gay son's wedding because it isn't a wedding. He is not getting married because a wedding is a an event where two people are married and marriage is an is an institution that is defined by God as between one man and one woman. It is fundamental to the social fabric of uh, society, of, of, of humanity. And so you you would want to say to your son as lovingly as you could i can i cannot and i will not attend your wedding because i am a christian and in the eyes of god weddings are for for legitimate marriages which can only be defined by god now when we think about this if we go to the, if we cave in, we go to the wedding, we compromise, we buy this other argument that we want to keep the lines of communication open and we can go to the wedding and not sin and all, and all of this kind of thing. What exactly is the message that, that we are sending? Well, the, the homosexual uh, men who are getting married, the gay men who are getting married are giving God the middle finger. They are blaspheming God. Uh, about as outrageously as God could be blasphemed. They are completely defying our Lord Jesus Christ, making a mockery of creation, a mockery of the institution of marriage, and a mockery of the creation of humanity. And so it is not the Christian who is being disrespectful and inhospitable here. It is the gay men, the homosexuals who are getting married in defiance of God's created order. And God has every right to say to them, you cannot get married. Okay, We, for some reason in the church today, seem to be uh, eager to take God's demands like this and place them on the shelf, thinking that somehow one, we have a right to do that, that that's actually something we're entitled to. We're not. We're not entitled to that. That is a dangerous practice. It needs to stop. We need to respect and appreciate the fact that God is the sovereign creator of all that is, and he places demands on us, on everyone, 
that none of us have a right to move or to lift or, 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 or remove. These are things that God expects of human beings. And he forbids this notion of two men actually getting married. And as a Christian, you can't send the signal to anyone there that you are perfectly okay with this. And that's another one of the things that's going to happen is if you attend this, uh, at a minimum, you are going to downplay whether you want to or not. Uh, you're going to, in the eyes of the people there, reduce your view of marriage. It's going to lower your view of marriage. It has to. Our view of marriage in the church is extremely high. One man, one woman. If you go to this wedding, then that view will be perceived by others to be, well, this is the same thing. And it will absolutely reduce the view of marriage um, inadvertently, whether you want it to or, or not. You have to find a loving way to stand your ground, love your son, um, be there for your son, but you cannot in any way, shape or form uh, go to this wedding and give them the, the indication, even slightly, that you're okay with this. All right. Another interesting question came in. This one had 36 votes. It says, as a youth pastor, your example of a transgender youth wanting accommodation with a gender opposite their bodily sex is very real. How do we show love while saying no to uh, that request? Well, th that's, that's an interesting question. So he here's the thing, folks, that you have to understand. Saying no to the request is not unloving. You cannot control how someone else is going to feel uh, or respond to your standing for truth. And in fact, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you look at the ministry of the apostles, you look at the ministries of the prophets, all throughout Scripture, Taking a stand for what is right, taking a stand for what is true, is always unpopular with people who are in rebellion against God. And a transgender youth, which there is no such thing as transgender, I reject the category outright. A young man who wants to be a young girl, young lady, or a young lady who wants to be a young man, giving God the middle finger because God didn't give them the equipment that they think uh, they wanted or preferred. Um, and they're going to ignore that and just go ahead and, and just self-identify. Uh, they're in rebellion against God. And, and you have to give them the gospel so that they see that. Now, I don't know where the parents would be in this situation. That would be one of the first things that I would, would do. And, and one of the things I think that this really points, points up to is that churches better start to get into their documents, their covenants, and 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 revise them. And they 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 should have already done that, but they better start doing that now, so that in the future, when these things start happening, they don't open themselves up for frivolous lawsuits. Can you imagine having someone who is a youth worker decide that they're going to 
now start to self-identify a man who's going to start to self-identify as a woman. And then from there, start dressing like a woman and continue to work with the youth. I mean, think about, think about that. Um, Something the church needs to get in front of this uh, to be responsible and to protect themselves. So you, you simply say no, no is not unloving. Um, And you help the kids see that they're in rebellion against God. And, you know, depending on where this young person is, um, yeah, they they may leave the church. And that's sad and regrettable, but there's nothing you can do about that. The cancer that is transgenderism, that is homosexuality, that is bisexuality, that is queer theology, that is same-sex attraction, this cancer cannot be allowed to take root in the churches. It has to be purged. And if that means certain people have to be excommunicated and removed from the church, that's what it means. If it means that Sam Alberry has to be excommunicated, that's what it means. If it means that Ravi Zacharias Ministries should be um, repudiated and publicly shamed and called to repentance because of their involvement and relationship with Alberry uh, and their opening the gate for this nonsense, well, then that's what it means. Uh, you know, I, I don't take any pleasure in that, but it is the truth in, in, from my perspective. I think it's clearly what the scripture teaches. So, all right, let's move on to the next question. All right, so here's the next question. How how does someone, so being single and feeling as if you need to or, or will remain single while pursuing a relationship with God, how do you deal with loneliness or the desire for companionship and intimacy. And so I'm assuming this is a deeper level of companionship, a deeper level of intimacy in this question. I don't know why anyone would think that you can't, can't be single and have close friends. So let's just take that off the shelf. That's crazy. The question then becomes, you know, your desire to be with somebody, your desire to have really close, intimate friendships. And here's the thing. This is the dangerous component of this teaching because the Bible clearly talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, not um, putting yourself in a position where sexual desire is burning within you, where you have this desire for sexual intimacy and you cannot fulfill it. And there's no category in the scripture that says you can just repress that. You can just push it away, manage it. No, the the solution, according to the Bible, is for a man who has sexual desire to marry a woman. So the, the answer is to redirect the sexual desire to the place where it's God designed it to go, the opposite sex. If you really want deep, intimate relationships, deep companionship, then that's an indication that you have not been 
gifted or built for singleness. So this idea that uh, Alberry is putting forward wouldn't be the right solution for you. It would only put you in a position where you would spend your life struggling and failing uh, in these areas. So the gift of singleness is a gift that very few people have. They do not possess the same kind of need or longing for these things of uh, uh, deep intimate relationships deep companionship um, and closeness that the average person has. They have, they have a gift. They're able to uh, really pour themselves into uh, other things. That's just how they're built. It's how they are wired. And if you are not wired that way, that's an indication that you should probably be looking for a wife if you are a man or a husband if you are a woman. All right, let's move on. Okay, <clears throat> next question. If science were to provide evidence that there is some biological connection to transgenderism, how does that affect God's commands with regards to marriage and sexuality? So this is really the, a question that takes us to this issue, the Bible versus science, if, if you will. In modern American culture, science has become the mechanism by which human autonomy is, is achieved. But science has serious limitations, and it has serious limitations even in this area. But let's, let's just take this and look at it. it, it the answer is really, it doesn't matter what science can prove regarding transgenderism, if there's wiring in the brain. Um, if there's some sort of gene, which they're, they looked for a gay gene forever, couldn't find one. So it really doesn't matter. God's word is absolute. It is unchanging. So if, if what you're saying here in this question, think about this, were actually true, and then that would change things. Well, what, what does that say about the word of God? That means the word of God is wrong for certain people. Think about it this way as well. What does science tell us about heterosexuality? All right. I'm a man. I'm attracted to women like all normal men are. Well, <laughs> okay. Does that mean that I am allowed when I see an attractive woman who really is like that type of woman that I'm attracted to, does it mean that I can have sex with her even though I'm married? Does it mean I can pursue every woman that comes along that, let's say, trips my trigger, that I find very attractive? Of course not, right? We are still expected to obey the commands of God. God's word still stands over us. So that's the answer to this question. It sounds simple, and it really is simple. It's not complicated.
Okay, here's an, another question, and, and we've got another one. The next question after this is just so you know, I'm going to bait you a little bit. It's extremely important. What about transgender people who do know their genity, their genity, their gender? They know their gender. They're very confident in their gender, but it's different than their birth gender. Is there room for them in the Christian church as full participants? So here's an individual, Kelly, uh, asking this question. Kelly has accepted the fact that it is possible for someone to be born a man, but really, truly be a woman. In other words, you could be born with a penis and really be a woman. And I'm assuming that Kelly is a professing Christian in a church somewhere. And this is the concern, guys. That idea has to be rejected at the very foundation of our thinking. We do not accept the existence of transgender people. People who, men who are born men, but who are supposedly very confident that they're really a woman trapped in a man's body. Okay? Now, lovingly, we say that that person is suffering with a mental disorder gender dysphoria, if that's really the case, right? Now, I, that requires direct addressing, but the answer is no, you cannot be a Christian and be born biologically a man or a woman and claim to be the opposite. You cannot be a Christian and claim to be transgender. Those two are contradictory, the one to the other. You can't even participate in the Christian church at all, let alone be full participants. You can't be half participants, 1% participants. You are an unbeliever in need of a savior, in need of being born again. That's the answer to this question. All right, now we come to Michael. Does the Bible speak against in doesn't the Bible speak against involuntary celibacy? Isn't celibacy forced on gay people if they are not supposed to act on same-sex desires? Yeah. So I'm really interesting interested in in understanding why Alberry did not select this question. There are tons of questions, so maybe there just wasn't time. Maybe they didn't see it. But this question gets to the heart of things, okay? And it's the point I think I've been trying to make is this is exactly what Sam Alberry and the uh, same-sex attraction, the gay Christian movement, uh, which is now, it, it was, you know, the gay Christian movement has been repackaged into the same-sex attraction movement as a way to smuggle it into the church. I don't believe it's going to stop just there. Uh, this They're going to push this all the way to the, to the end. Isn't celibacy forced on gay people if they're not supposed to act on same-sex desires? And Albury would answer the question, well, yes, that's the case. You cannot 
have homosexual sex. He would at least say that, and that's true. The problem is the same-sex desire has to change. The same-sex desire has to be repented of itself so that any sexual desire in a man has to be directed toward a woman. Any sexual desire in a woman has to be directed toward a man. The sexual desire itself for anyone of the same sex is a sin that requires repentance. Okay, so uh, this is a really good question. And the answer is yes, that's exactly what the same sex attraction model uh, is uh, espousing. And it is contrary to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If a heterosexual person, uh, let's just use that language for sake of argument, has sexual desire, then they should get married because they don't have the gift. If you have sexual desire, one of two things has to happen. The sexual desire needs to go away completely or, and in that case, perhaps you have been granted the gift of singleness or the sexual desire needs to be directed towards someone of the opposite sex. There's no middle ground here, folks. This idea that Christians can, uh, Christian man can walk around desiring to have sex with other men uh, is incongruent with the, regener- the, 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 the idea of regenerated Christian uh, people. We, we do not believe that this can continue in a person's life uh, as a believer um, without being addressed. It is a sin to be addressed, not a temptation. Same-sex desire is not a temptation. It is a sin in and of itself. The very desire is disordered, unnatural, and sinful, not just the act. This is Romans 1, ladies and gentlemen. That's the language of Scripture. All right. Okay, next question. How should we evangelize those who ha- who might have already had a negative or who might already have a negative opinion of the church because of how other Christians act towards the LGBT plus community? Okay, so we really should, just as Christians... We really should refuse to acknowledge that there is a community of of homosexuals. That there that they that a a community exists that is identified as sexual oriented in a particular way. Um, this is not consistent with Christianity. There are two communities in the world. There's the community of faith, the covenant people of God, the elect, the regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then there's the rest. There's the unbelieving community that is in rebellion against God, who has full right to make demands on them. That's the first thing. So no such thing as an LGBT plus community. Secondly, why have they formed negative opinions of the church? Is it because the church has been mean to them? 
Is it because we have been inhospitable to them? Are these people who are running around today trying to soften the sin of homosexuality correct when they say that the church has mishandled homosexuality? The way that they're saying the church has mishandled everything. This is the deconstruction of the Christian church, guys. That's what this is. It's the deconstruction of Christianity. One more deconstruction movement that's taking swipes at Christianity. Okay. I personally believe that it is soundly of the devil from the pits of hell. The church has not hated homosexuals. I mean, when all this started, I remember hearing homosexuals talk about how we hate homosexuals, how the Christian church hates homosexuals. And I started to think about when the last time was, I actually heard a sermon on homosexuality. I've been in the church almost 40 years. And uh, gosh, I can't tell you that I have ever heard one sermon completely devoted to the topic of homosexuality. On occasion, it gets mentioned, but because homosexuality has never been a problem in the churches, it hasn't been the focus of the churches. And because such a small percentage of people were homosexual, the church never really paid tremendous amounts of attention to it. So what's going on today? What's different now that the church is paying so much attention to this? Well, the homosexual community is demanding that people celebrate their lifestyle, not tolerate their lifestyle, not treat them equal with everyone else. No, what the homosexual community is demanding is that you look at their behavior and you you view it just like you would view a man and a woman in relationship with one another. That's the demand because the homosexual hates the idea that someone thinks their lifestyle is unnatural, that it is disordered, that is absolutely, in their mind, outrageous and insulting top to bottom. So they want to change that. They demand to be celebrated. They demand uh, the same opportunities in terms of marriage and the laws, in terms of tax laws and things of this inheritance taxes and transferring uh, property rights to their significant other um, as heterosexuals have, as a man and a woman has, as God's design uh, has. This is the issue. Uh, you do not see uh, murderers and adulterers standing up and demanding that the church just accept them for who they are. And this is the issue. Homosexuals accuse uh, you of bigotry if you say a homosexual can't be a Christian, a practicing homosexual. If you say a homosexual cannot uh, serve in ministry, they cannot serve on staff. Uh, you are ipso facto hateful, inhospitable, and a bigot. Now, what you need to understand as a Christian is that you're, you cannot move off that language. Sorry. I know in modern American culture, you want to. I know you do not want to be uh, stigmatized. 
You do not want to be insulted. You do not want to be slandered. You do not want to be called names. I understand that for the last 20 years, 30 years, the generation that's coming up, the worst thing that can happen to them is for someone to call them a name or worse, for someone to not like them. We just fall apart if someone doesn't like us. Well, listen, here's the, here's the deal, guys. Part of the gig of being a Christian, a born-again believer in Christ, is that you're going to be hated. You're not just going to be disliked. You're going to be hated. The idea that you can make Christianity attractive to pagan unbelievers, the idea that you can make Christianity attractive to God-haters is foreign to the teachings of Christianity itself. It's not biblical Christianity. This idea that Christianity and Jesus can be made attractive to unbelieving, unregenerate people in the world is an idea that is imported into Christianity from the culture. Started with the seeker-sensitive movement. It made its way through the consumer movement, the emergent church movement, and it's showing up here in all kinds of different forms in the church's uh, hopes to soften homosexuality in the areas of racism and or racialism, racial reconciliation, the social justice gospel, uh, female leadership, um, politics even. These people want to make Christianity more attractive to the world. They want to make Jesus more attractive to the world. And they are going to do whatever it takes to paint that kind of picture of Jesus uh, in order to have credibility, uh, in order to have a seat at the table, in order to, to do what they think is their duty to grow the church and make America a better place. Well, that isn't the mission of the church. All right. So if you are a born again Christian, you need to embrace the idea that you are going to be hated for the sake of Christ. If you can't handle that, then there's a question, there's a question mark about whether or not you possess genuine faith in Christ. Faith is a gift of God. You don't, you don't conjure it up yourself. God either gives it to you, the Holy Spirit either implants it in your heart, in the regenerated, in the, in the regenerative process, or he doesn't, right? If you are regenerated and you love Christ, take a stand, embrace being hated for the name of Christ. All right, this is the last question that we're going to cover. And it brings us back to this idea of gender Stereotypes. So it seems that the church often relies heavily on gender stereotypes. Can or should we be less dependent on these gender stereotypes? Is this harmful in any way? Um, yes, it's harmful because when God created Adam, he created him with certain traits and characteristics. And when he, when he created Eve, he created her with certain traits 
and characteristics. Those traits and characteristics are designed to support the function of the man and the woman in those in those offices the way that God designed. So when you begin to deconstruct those things and tear them apart, you end up now having a man who has metaphorically been neutered. He can't function as the man that God called him to be because you have destroyed though the fabric of what gives him the ability to function in that role. All those traits and characteristics that make him a man, the strength of manliness, the competitiveness of, of manliness, all of these things, the, the masculinity of, of men, the characteristics of masculinity are there for a very specific reason. Uh, because God created men to function in a very specific way, to be the leaders, to be to be strong, to be protectors, to be providers. He did not create women with those characteristics. And so essentially what this is, and again, this it, it is amazing to me that pastors are not doing what they need to do to help Christians think better about this. This is the autonomy of human beings expressing itself in this area. We want to reject God's design for marriage. We want to reject God's design for sex. We want to reject God's design now for, we want to reject God's design for women. We want to reject God's design for, for men. And we want to deconstruct that and we want to create recreate it in our own Way. So think about this. What is the opposite of manliness? Womanliness. Feminine. The, the opposite of being masculine is being feminine. Who's defining what is a good man, what uh, a good man looks like, what a good man acts like, what a good man behaves like, what character traits a man should possess? Who's defining these things? Who is it? that is talking about toxic masculinity, right? In many, many cases, it's the modern American feminist, the female who, who thinks that, uh, who has these opinions of men, these godless opinions of men, and she's reshaping man, right? The desire to rule over him. This goes all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the beginning. And this is how you should look at this. This is how we should look at this. It's how I look at it. This is a desire to reject at the most basic level the distinctions between the male and the female that God created all the way back in the garden. It is another attempt at unbelievers to reject and rebel against God's created order. That is how you should see this, right? The problem with these some of these questions is the uncritical acceptance of these ideologies that are going on in the culture, you see. And that's a real problem. It's a problem in our churches. It's a problem in how we think. This uncritically accepting. the So for instance, I'll give you an example. No a homosexual cannot be a member 
in our church. All right, that immediately is uh, characterized as unloving, characterized as inhospitable, characterized as just mean-spirited and bigoted. And, And rather than stopping and standing back and examining that component of this argument and just not and refusing to accept that assumption. We just accept it and try to figure out a different way to deal with it. Stop and begin to break down some of these these claims because inside of these claims and these charges, there are presuppositions that we should be looking for. You know, how do we lovingly say to a transgender youth that, you know, they can't use they can't self-identify and then use the bathroom or belong in the group of girls, even though they're a guy. Well, you say no. Oh, how do we say that lovingly? I mean, how, how can you say no to them and still be loving? That the presupposition is saying no is being mean. It isn't. See, this is the problem. The problem is that we are allowing the feelings of this generation, this culture to actually dictate and set the criteria for our own behavior. You lovingly say no. Now, you got you have to be okay with people leaving because you stand for truth. This is a, this is really a huge part of this problem is that we we don't want people to not like us. And so we're going to try to do everything we possibly can to keep them from not liking us. Folks, you're talking about unbelieving people who hate God. They despise God. What makes you think they're going to love his disciples? Jesus said the disciple is not above his master. If the world hates you, know this. It hated me before it hated you. And if it hated me, it's going to hate you. This narrative that were painted of Jesus and the world, this this dance, that Jesus had with the world, that the world loved him and was attracted to him, and all these women were caught in adultery or sexual sin, and Jesus seemed to be very understanding and, and very loving. This is a false narrative. That's not the Jesus that's painted for us in the New Testament. That's not the revelation of God we see in Scripture. It's remarkably different. Now, can we be unloving? toward unbelievers? Can we be unloving toward homosexuals? You can be unloving toward anybody. Yes, that's possible, right? You don't have to be snippy. You don't have to call people names. You don't have to be mean-spirited or anything like that, but you do have to be honest, and you, you should never find yourself in a position where you're trying to soften the truth because your real motive in that situation, isn't to share the truth with people. It's to, to, your real motive is to share as much of the truth with people as you can in a way that makes them still like you. That's your real goal. And that can't be your real goal. The, the like me part has to go. You have to be okay in this culture being hated. And, and let me, let me just <laughs> clue you in. If you're a true believer and you love Jesus Christ and you love God, 
You love his church. You love his body. You care about purity of doctrine. You care about purity of behavior in the body of Christ. You care about really being relevant the way God would define relevant. A city sat up on a hill, right, that shines its light into this dark culture. If you care about those things, it's going to get worse for you. Your, your, your likableness is gone if, if, in fact, you care about the truth of God's word, if you care about the gospel, if you care about the revelation of Christ, it's gone. You have to let it go. You have to be okay with homosexuals calling you bigots. You just do. You're going to have to be okay with some of these black liberation theology folks calling you racist. You're just going to have to accept it. This is the nature of where we are. You're going to have to be okay with women, modern American women who are in rebellion against God, calling you misogynists. You're going to have to be okay with that. These people who run around saying that, you know, you hate immigrants because you think the government has a right to have a law, a law on the books that regulate immigration into the country. Therefore, you must hate aliens or immigrants. And you know that isn't true. You're going to have to be okay. And, and let me just, I'm going to close with this. Let me, let me say this one final thing. A lot of this language that you're going to hear, that you're, you're homophobic, you're misogynist, you hate aliens and strangers, you don't care about widows and orphans, you're a racist. Startling. But a lot of this language is going to come to you, be directed toward you by people who profess Christ. Because they think that the church has been wrong about all of these issues all of these years. And they have stumbled upon the truth. They haven't stumbled upon the truth. They haven't had an epiphany. What they have had is an embracing of pagan culture a desire to deconstruct Christianity and reconstruct it in a way that just continues in the same old seeker model that's been around for years now. It is the meshing of evangelicalism with liberal Protestantism. That's what this is. All right. That brings this rant to its conclusion. I hope I said something that was encouraging and uplifting and maybe challenging. So I think that if, if you want to leave a message or ask a question, you can do that on your iPhone. There's a, there's a function in there that will allow you to actually leave a message. I can get the message and perhaps uh, address the question or the comment on uh, the next episode. So until we meet again, as the Hebrew would say, God bless.